You're listening to Work Tape, Episode 5. Welcome to this edition of the Work Tape Podcast. I am Mitchell Palmer with best shirts in the business as always, but right next to me, of course, Isaac Grover. Let's get with it. So a lot has happened since the last installment of this series. Bill Cosby's now a free man. I know that we normally don't just come right out the gate with that, but... Uh, okay, but he likes jazz, so that's somewhat related, right? Yes, and jazz was featured prominently on his show back in the day. So, yeah, I guess in a way it weirdly works with the whole idea of... It is of, indirectly music news. Yes, definitely. So that's probably one of the, the biggest bombshells that's happened recently, Um, once again, because of technicalities in the courts of things. But on that topic, music has, over the course of time, faced its own sets of controversies, whether it be artists who are making videos that are a direct statement against cultural norms or maybe to instill their vision or their aesthetic or uh, in cases where sometimes it'll come down to lyrics, man. When hip-hop was really coming into the forefront of things, there was a, a court case uh, revolved around two live crew for one of their songs um, where they actually got arrested and charged with obscenity charges because of the lyrical nature of their music. I watched the history of hip hop on Netflix. So I studied. Yes. So you're so you're ready for this. Yes, okay. I'm ready for this. And you and you know that they actually set a precedent in the court to protect hip hop artists moving forward in the future from facing similar types of charges because if those obscenity things were still around and where they could just throw it out left and right, well, uh, let's say that Meg the Stallion and Cardi B would have been in trouble even more so than they may have already gotten. I wouldn't be completely against that, not going to lie, but that's just because of preference. Now, you know, it's funny. Uh, I was uh, <laughs> I was looking into artists from the past, like 30s, you yes. know, like from 1930s who had some pretty obscene lyrics. Really? Lucille Bogan. Does does that ring a bell at all? Sounds sounds about right. Well, I'm not going to talk about it here because I it's absolutely inappropriate. But Lucille Bogan, a 1930s, or at least she was known in the 1930s musically. And those are the most graphic lyrics I've ever read. And it's... Are you it's, talking about the blues artist? Yeah. Yes, I know exactly what yeah, you're talking about. Dude. She kind of set the way. Maybe she was the Cardi B, Megan, the and style I of her day. And I do not listen to those women, but... I'm just saying Lucille kind of, um, I we mean, kind of don't touch her. I feel like she kind of set the benchmark for Lil' Kim and Megan Stallion, of course, and, you know, all those female artists to express themselves. Speaking of an artist who has faced a battle in terms of expressing herself and amongst a myriad of other things is Britney Spears under all the stuff with this conservatorship. Good job. I didn't, we didn't and, even rehearse uh, this and you no, just went right so in. So I'm sure that y'all have seen this documentary that's come out this year about exactly how controlling her father is over pretty much every aspect of her life. And we, we all thought that she was just going insane. But when you connect the dots of everything that happened in terms of this conservatorship and feeling like she is not capable of making her own decisions, handling her own money, even to the point of forcing her to have an IUD implant, uh, it's crazy, man. It's absolutely insane. 
And uh, she went ahead and gave a testimony in court as well, detailing all of this. And even more support has come through. Now, personally, I can't deny the contributions that Britney Spears has made to pop music. In fact, she, in my opinion, is probably one of the biggest female artists, but also one of the biggest artists of the last 20 years. I would put her up there with Eminem, not going to lie. Well, they kind of, they were in the same era. That's what I'm saying. They were in the same era. They kind of were known for being controversial yeah. and jumping right into it and appealing to similar, I guess, demographics in a way. Um, yes, they're both white. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, but but both influenced by the African-American music aesthetic. Let's just Black. Put it, yes, but let's put it that way. Yes. I'm, I'm trying to, you know what, man? I'm trying, I know, to, I'm giving a hard I'm time. trying to be PC about this, okay? <laughs> I you mean, don't have to be PC to, with me. All right, let's. All right, then. I, okay, I guess that's that's what we're gonna do. I mean, because that's just the nature of this episode. I guess. Nah, do you forget those blacks? Listen to this black. Don't listen to those other blacks out there. <laughs> oh, so there's a so there is a difference. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. No, but back to back to that. I mean, it's it's she's just, going insane. You're talking about the conservatorship and yeah, kind and of her freedoms being you know kind of yeah, indifferent. and 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 once again the fight of artists that have been. That they've had in court, you know, and and whatnot. And this is nothing new in terms of artists kind of being at the attack of what I would consider conservatives, perhaps. And this whole idea that they're negatively influencing the youth. And uh, that's something that dates way back. Oh, right. In the day as well. Yes. I mean, if you even want to go there, you know, they've talked about, you know, the blues and rock being devil's music and that you had to essentially sell your soul in order to acquire the talent to play it properly. Hence the the Robert Johnson storyline that we all we all know. But yeah, controversy has always been a big selling point, I think, amongst artists. And I think in this Internet age, I think we're seeing it even more now, especially with. Oh, no. Are we going to lead into it? Are we going to talk about what happened with what? Okay, well, never mind. W- with what? Ah, uh, no, you know it's funny because I wouldn't. I thought we weren't going to talk about it, and then I just remembered because I forgot about it completely. What's up? I thought we were going to talk about Montero. Oh yeah, well we could talk about that. Sure, why not? We, we could talk. We could talk about oh, Little Nas X. I mean, Little Nas X is a great example of that because he purposely made Montero and right down to the shoe release that he had with Nike to intentionally make people mad. And I feel like he's been kind of intentionally been making people mad kind of from the get go. Yeah. Because with him in Old Town Road, there's a theory going around that he uh, essentially put a spin on, you know, what is considered a favorite film genre amongst the people that he is deliberately making mad. And the fact that he has probably the longest charting country song was a direct way of revenge and getting excluded from the Billboard Hot 100 list at the beginning because the song wasn't country enough. And, you know, people were making a case that, you know, there was a lot of racism going on because he was a black man doing country music. Which has existed forever. I mean, just ask Darius Rucker about that one. I mean, yeah, he's, but he's, even before Darius, that's another problem is when people use Darius as an argument. I'm like, you do realize that there's more than Darius Rucker. Yeah, people don't think like that. But I have been trying to keep a calm demeanor. I think it's better. <laughs> it's all for the best to be like this. So mm-hmm. proceed. Yes. Please. Well, so I mean, anyway, so I mean, that's very much a thing. And I think he is trying to just stir the pot for the sake of stirring the pot. And actually, conspiracy theories are not well defined from theory to theory because you don't know what's a conspiracy and what's not. So it could be true. It could be all true. It could be barely true. It could be mm-hmm. mostly true. You know what I mean? It's like you don't know. Yeah. 
with the way he's acting, I wouldn't be surprised if any of those are actually correct. Truthfully, what is established as a fact is that he does like to get people mad and likes to ruffle feathers, man, which is why you shouldn't take the bait. Right. Just ignore him. Right. But I think it's also big in terms of just his sales and in terms of his prevalence amongst the music industry. As we know, you know, many people were saying that with this Old Town Road thing being such a huge hit, mm-hmm. knocking the previous record was held by Boys to Men and Mariah Carey. You know, something that the Beatles haven't even done for him to come basically out the gate with that. You know, many people are saying, oh, there's no way he's he's going to stay relevant. Um, there's no way he's going to top the success of that single. But I think some of these tactics, I think he's using to not only stay relevant, but also to ultimately drive traffic at the end of the day. So from looking at it from a a music marketing and business standpoint, I think it's actually pretty brilliant what he's doing in terms of that whole thing. Sometimes using that shock value and whatnot to draw people in is particularly very effective in terms of driving music up the charts. And that leads us into Marilyn Manson. My goodness. He's probably one of one of the main predominant artists to really utilize shock value so, and to build an and to build a brand. Let's let's it. talk about that shock value for a second. Cause we're gonna let's talk about him. Basically the dude's on the verge of possibly getting arrested. That's what we're basically gonna talk about. So I'm gonna spoil it. Marilyn Manson, uh, Lady Gaga, obviously, even Katy Perry to an extent, mm-hmm. Montero, and another one that comes to mind is, did I just say Madonna? I didn't say Madonna yet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Madonna's yeah, so big. obviously those people- Throw Nine Inch Nails in there too, to a certain extent. I guess, sure. Okay, sure. Like sure. early Nine Inch Nails. Early like- Nine Inch Nails. Of course, you could kind of say that for almost anyone, because Nirvana did the same thing. But these bands for sure, mm. or artists, if you will, the use of shock value- I'm not going to lie. I think it's kind of low-hanging fruit. I don't think it's that genius. You could say, well, it takes a lot of guts to do that. I mean, sure, but that's all it takes. All it takes is a lot of guts to do something, but not necessarily intelligence. Does that make sense? Sure. I think it's clever, but I think it's kind of like, let's just be straight for example. Let's use an extreme. Okay. And I could see Marilyn Manson or any, a few of them at least, using something like this. You could even say something as simple as, and I'm going to say this because it's really offensive. Let's take a bunch of infants, let's have a video, and let's just chop them up. Yeah. That doesn't take a lot of brain power. It's more just like, do you really want to do that? And I feel like, let's say that gets someone a lot of views and that really gets them a lot of attention. I still think that there's a difference between what's good and bad. Yeah. And I would just say, ah, no, that's not good. And I feel like people will say, oh, well, it's genius. It's clever, right? As if it justifies. And I don't think the ends justify the means in that sense. I think that the means still matter. There it is. Means still matter. That's that's yes. going to be on, on t-shirts now that we sell. No, I, I, I would agree with you. I think it really comes down to like, even if you are going to do something that's uber edgy and controversial, the music still has to hold up. If the music doesn't hold up, then True. there's really no purpose in it. But if the music is reflective of more of the avant-garde approach that people will take or the kind of against the grain approach. That's kind of when you strike the line perfectly because going back to like Nine Inch Nails, nobody was making a song like Closer when it came out. And the fact that Closer had such a pretty significant run on charts, considering the subject matter and the actual video that accompanied it, I think that Trent Reznor blended that line pretty well, which is why... Uh, Once again, even outside of his own band, he's found success composing and whatnot because he has a general idea of what's going to work and keeping his own sound, but evolving with his own sound, kind of 
setting that industrial scene forward. And, you know, same thing with Madonna too. We could talk about the Like a Prayer video and the burning crosses, but um, I'm sure you've seen it. But the music held up. Okay, I'm grasping what you're throwing. Yeah, I feel like if the music didn't hold up, some of these artists would have been canceled, like just outright. You know what? You bring up a really good point because we wanted to talk about cancel culture a little bit. And this is really the perfect segue to do it. Perfect segue. Yeah, so right. That's actually perfect that you say that because, yes, it's true that if the music's good enough or if all it takes is to like someone enough where, you know how they say love is blind? It's the same thing with our favorite artists and things like that. We will immediately throw out all of our standards and everything that we stand for because we like someone. Yeah. And the reason why I'm mentioning that is because people act like they're all about their standards and their values. They want to say like, oh, well, this matters. It's like, no, it doesn't matter to you. That's not true. No, it doesn't matter to you because I've seen the way you treat this artist. You love them. And the same people that you're canceling out, you're not looking at your favorite artists and canceling them out for the exact same things. It is a ridiculous double standard. This is why people make me angry. Right. And you're touching right on that. Right. And it, it's something that has been universal even in what I would consider the evolution of pop. Like people will love a sexist artist until they find out he was a racist. Right. Even artists that we've touched on in past installments fill this particular section perfectly. People look over Morrissey's extremism and veganism and his overall outlook in terms of defending his veganism and... Um, from what I understand, he's a total racist. Oh, Morrissey? Yeah. But once again, <laughs> people are willing to look over that because they realize that without Morrissey, you don't really have the Smiths. <laughs> and, you know, same same thing, um, you know, Oasis in terms of some of the things that, you know, Nolan Liam have said over the course of time. People have very much looked over their clear alcoholism problems. They, they like the sauce quite a bit. Thank God I'm not into Oasis. Yeah. I like some of their songs. Yeah. I dig Oasis. Whether they were the Beatles of their time, I think that's kind of a big stretch to say that they were kind of the modern equivalent of the Beatles. You know Beatles. why they were the Beatles of the time? Because they blatantly ripped off their sound in the 90s. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. It's true. They sound like a Beatles copy. That's true. They, I could not stand that about them. That's true. I mean, what's the story? Morning Glory, as as classic of an album as that is. No, and that's a good album. That's actually a good album. That's, that's a great album. I'm not going to hear. Yeah, what's that. the story? Morning Glory. Yeah. Even though many diehard Oasis fans would be like, "Well, that's played out. It's still good." The album before it was better. I'm like, nah. I I, I think. <laughs> I'm like, nah, what's the story Morning Glory had? Just the right balance of that psychedelic thing that the Beatles were doing on like Sgt. Pepper's. But then it had some like rubber soul kind of things. Like it had, it just had really good songwriting. Good album, but kind of like what we're both mutually saying, they're way overblown. Oh, absolutely. I mean, now don't get me wrong. If Noel and Liam come back for a reunion tour and they do it legitimately, I'm going to see it. Go ahead. I'm going to go see it. Do it. I will pay good money even to a certain point. <laughs> with them, it's kind of with them, it's kind of like Guns and Roses. I'm like, I would go see them, but only up to a certain point. I'm not paying like upwards of 500 plus to see Guns and Roses, especially now. No, of course especially, not. Right? Especially now, as good as good as people said that people have said that Axel's gotten better. Because he lost all that weight. And they said, oh, Axel's really good now. And you can see him with Slash, Duff McKagan. You can see him with every... It's just like the 80s. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not like the late it's 80s. It's not like the... 
No, no, it's, no it's, it's not. not. You want to talk about controversy too? Axel Rose is a perfect example Dude, of that. Is, all these controversies, we're going to be having like a part series with this. A, yeah, Axel Rose is a fantastic example of this as well. Just based on, I mean, for him, it's really more of the ego thing. But I, I think that, you know, he's been known to say some crazy things too. And once again, people overlook that because he is the front man of Guns N' Roses. And oh, November Rain is brilliant. That's the reason why they overlooked it, even though a fair amount of Guns N' Roses fans would argue otherwise. November Rain was bombastic to the point of just ridiculousness, like just pure ridiculousness with no regard for how much money they were putting in. But I think most hit songs miss the mark, especially with the fans of those artists and bands. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, it's one of those things where like you'll continue to see it all the time. And there's been a lot of artists who have been able to overcome it, especially recently Kanye has overcome cancel culture not just once but a few times in his career hence why he's still around Tyler the creator who just dropped an album has also Lumberjack uh, something like that something about uh, Lumberjack Call Me If You Get Lost is the name of the album but Lum- Lumberjack was part but, of something No Lumberjack is on the album it's oh, one, okay, it's gotcha. one of the songs on the album but he's overcome cancel culture numerous times What happened with him So he got banned from the UK because of homophobic lyrics supposedly I thought Okay, well, I don't care if I look like an idiot on my own show. It's my own show. I can look like an idiot all I want. <laughs> um, didn't he come out? Yeah, he's bisexual. Okay, so go on about the... Yeah, he's bisexual, but he, he had some what were considered some questionable lyrics regarding sexual orientation, and the UK straight up banned him from entering the country for a while. And then he turned around and said, you gay. <laughs> exactly. And then eventually, basically playing the waiting game and whatnot, got back in, but... Um, he got banned from visitation to the UK. Visiting and performing. He couldn't really. Even, he couldn't even perform there. They're know? that aggressive about it? Yeah, I had no idea that the Brits were that ag- aggressive about it. But Jeez, chill out, guys. You guys are so prideful that you guys took our rock and perfected it. And just because you perfected our rock and roll doesn't give you the right to just do stuff like that. No, definitely not. But I mean, it's you guys just- did perfect rock, though. Go yeah. on. The British invasion's a, a great example of that too. You have, I mean, you have groups like, you know, the, the Sex Pistols. Censorship. Censorship was a big thing in the UK, right? Yes. They had to really- like a big part of your guys' culture. Well, yes, they had to, they, well, their, yes. But yes, I mean, me being English, yes. But there are examples of like, you know, Sex Pistols and the Rolling Stones having to overcome some of those strict, well, actually, here's the funny thing about Britain, specifically Britain. There was a period of time in the 60s where a lot of rock music was straight up barred from being played on public radio. Yeah, the Beatles met that opposition at that time, weren't they? They had like an issue with that? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I thought I, they had. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought that the, the Beatles actually were welcomed in and actually appealed to the audience because they were considered clean cut other bands had a hard time is what you're saying. That's correct. Gotcha. Yeah. But um, anyways, in general, there was a period into the early to mid 60s where British public radio did not allow a lot of rock music to be on air. I think in part because time constraints, I think they didn't have songs that were like longer than like three minutes because Queen faced that issue with Bohemian Rhapsody where they wanted to get that on radio But since the song was six minutes, everybody was saying, oh, there's no way a six minute song could be a radio hit. And then it charted three times on the Hot 100. So who was really right there? But anyways, besides the point, the mid 60s, British rock radio wasn't really much of a thing until an American DJ got on a boat 
went out to international waters and started playing rock music to be transmitted into the UK from his boat connection. I forgot where, I think probably somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, but there's a great movie on it. It's called Pirate Radio. Um, and that's a really good movie just to get the sense of their history with, uh, you want to talk about censorship. That, that, that's very much right. that, them bands and whatnot, you know, kind of sticking it to the man. I mean, yeah. the Who were one of those guys too. Absolutely. A uh, rebellious type. Well, I feel like for them, it was more in their antics and not so much in their music. I mean, I think the music, the music, don't get me wrong, the music's good. Right. Music's really good. But I don't think that there was anything directly in the music that was sticking it to the man. It was more of like their lifestyle. That's kind of what I meant anyway. Sorry. But you're right. Yeah, the lifestyle. Like the parties were insane. I heard about like huge hotel bills because they trashed the entire room after a show. That was uh, Keith's fault. Yeah, Keith Moon was a madman, one of the best drummers to ever do it. But still, I mean, kind of revolutionary in a lot of the things in terms of that big end note point and just no regard for the drum set that set forth a lot of things. But there's a lot of censorship that happened and the idea of music making statements, being controversial and and whatnot. And even artists who you would think are relatively clean cut or relatively generally accepted by large crowds of people face that similar issue, too. We We were talking before we aired about what's going on in the sense that even Motown themselves didn't want that album necessarily being at the forefront because they thought it was going to cause too many problems politically. Right. Meanwhile, it goes on to be one of their best selling albums and one of their highest regarded albums, rightfully so, of all time. So there's just a lot that you can dig in with this in terms of this whole battle of artists and their artistic liberties and the big corporations and what they will allow in terms of the expression and what they're not. And you're seeing this on YouTube too. You're seeing this on YouTube with so many channels being taken out because of not fitting within confinements of some sort. Yeah. YouTube's guidelines. But what's so funny about YouTube is that they will make an exception for music actually. That's why some of the videos have actually been able to get through with relative ease is because they've said clear cut in their terms that like, oh, it doesn't apply to music. Then we're circling back to risque content, right? Yeah, that's true. I have noticed that's a universal thing with our culture is that people are all like angry about something. But as soon as you put it in music, it's okay. Mm -hmm. And you know, what's actually really odd. Um, We still pick and choose particular things in music that we don't like while we also hold on to other dumb things in music Mm. as well. Of course, you know, I don't subscribe to the stupid talks about race. I only make fun of race talk. So I really talk about race ironically. It's just my thing. All the things I'm angry about race, other people aren't angry about and vice versa. I'm not angry about race concerning a lot of things that people are angry about it. So I am my own individual when it comes to this stuff. But I noticed that people get really up in arms about like they'll talk to me because, you know, like I post my TikTok. You know, I was posting some music from like country artists. Yeah. And so people are like, oh, yeah, you do realize that this guy was a racist, right? And I'm like, sure, I've heard that he's a racist from you, but I'm not really here to talk about that. Now, I'll talk about racism. I'll talk about it. Sure. But I feel like, why are you upset about that one thing when we could be talking about the other things wrong with our music as well? And this is not to say that I'm okay with the racism. That's, that's the thing is, to be fair, I don't know. That's why I was kind of saying that it's weird that we cancel out these artists over here, but all the artists that this person listens to is just fine. I'm like, really? Because last I checked, everyone has some dirt or everyone has some secret. Yeah, generally. Right. So what's funny to me is while you're getting at me because I should have known that this guy was a racist because I didn't. And even if I did know that, 
why can't I just listen to it and still appreciate it? I don't have to agree with everyone I listen to is my point. Sure. So I feel like I live my life where I don't have to agree with everyone that I consume. Sure. Right. I'm not always like, oh, no, is this person a racist? Oh, this person's a sexist and all that stuff. Now, I do stay away. I try my best to stay away from music that's highly sexist. I think it's kind of unfair, right? Because it's like, if you want to respect a woman, why are we demeaning them at the same time? Uh-huh. So I find that really weird. But I feel like I'm consistent and not complaining about the little details because I feel like everyone has dirt. So at the end of the day, if you want to listen to something, fine, that's your decision. But what's weird is that there are these people that police it. Yeah, sure. And they have to like, oh, well, you can't listen to that or you can't listen to that because this person's race or whatever. I'm like, okay, cool. So you're listening to all this music about womanizing people and you're a woman. So like, I don't understand your argument because Mm -hmm. you're cherry picking what I'm listening to about that. And you're listening to stuff that is very demeaning to other people as well. So why do we get to cancel out these artists that you're talking about, but not the artists that you listen to? Exactly. Because it's like, it's a little contradictory in that sense. Yeah. And people do it all the time. And they don't bat an eye. This is something that people don't talk about. Yeah, exactly. And if you want to talk about even overlooking a lot of things because of a merit and talent, look at our Kelly. Textbook example. Or Elvis. Exactly. Oh, believe me. We'll, oh, we'll get into we're, that. We're, we're going to get to that. We'll get yeah. into that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, 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 we're coming for you, man. That's, that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> we're just going to let you know. We're going to recancel you. No, the R. Kelly thing from the 90s, it was already apparent that things were weird, especially when he went out of his way with the secret marriage of Aaliyah, who was like 15, 16. I think. How old was he, was he at the time? Uh, I want to say it was like late 20s, which is really weird, bro. I'm finding it really funny because of the the absurdity of just what, It's just, it's insane. That's why I'm laughing. It's insane. Anyway, so even from that, even from the freaking get-go with uh, the secret marriage to Aaliyah, they're like, you know what? The, the man made bump and grind, so we can excuse that. And then the late 90s, for a little film called Space Jam, which we're also getting a, spe- a sequel to Space Jam this year... So even more the better, he made a little song called I Believe I Can Fly, which was like at every graduation, at every celebratory event, it became a standard of music. I love that track. It is a good song, but it's feeding directly into my point of R. Kelly being excused for questionable and or criminal behavior because his music was good. And even I felt a bit conflicted when hearing about, you know, the details of some of this thing. Of course, the infamous video with Golden Shower. Um, We'll just stick it at that. I don't listen to R. Kelly's and I, I actually don't feel ashamed saying that I don't listen to him. Yeah. Was that the actual name of one of his songs? Golden shower? No. It it might as well have been considering the whole video controversy, but I was really conflicted too, especially when the surviving R. Kelly documentary kids were talking about apple juice. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. When people were, you know, the, the surviving R. Kelly came out and we realized that it gone that it went even deeper than we thought. Where Unfortunately. He, where the man had a cult. The man had a cult of women. Wait, let me do let me do this Dave Chappelle. A cult. Yes, major respect out to uh, Dave Chappelle. He had a cult. But people were able to excuse it, and even I myself felt conflicted because I'm like, man, this music is really, really good. For R&B music of the 90s, this music is really good. There are a lot of artists who go unseen and who go uncalled out because of the same thing. Yeah. There are more people out there who are just like him, if not worse. Yeah, 
I mean, you want to talk about like, you know, the whole asphyxiation with male artists being into basically jailbait. I mean, Elvis is a good example of that. Jerry Lewis, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis was the rock and roller who married his own cousin, uh, which is just odd. Knowingly, though, huh? Yes. Oh, man. Circling back to race thing and the cultural appropriation of music, that's also been, of course, a longstanding topic. Elvis being by far the most pointed out example of that. But you even look at, you know, folks like... Yeah, um, people love him. Yeah, you look at folks like... That's all that matters. People love him, so that's all that matters. So you can't cancel him. Exactly. I mean, and, and the funny thing is, is that I there's so many documentaries coming out and whatnot that are trying to basically clear up his reputation in that regard. There's a documentary that came out, I think, called The Searcher and some other YouTube videos talking about how Elvis did this out of a out of a respect for the community and whatnot. And I didn't know the man. I mean, it seems from the interviews where he was asked about it, it seems like he had a sincerity for it. He had an appreciation for it growing up in Tennessee, growing up in Memphis, where a lot of this music was brewing. It seemed like he had all of the best intentions, but did not realize that They didn't have the terminology for it, but little did he realize that the white privilege that he had was really going to affect the overall public outlook on him doing it. Even if he had the greatest intention of bringing this music- I'm not defending him, but he also couldn't have foreseen all the stupidity going on in our culture. Right, exactly. That he has to walk around in these PC boots, like- Yeah, exactly. And this is not condoning what he's done. I'm saying that you got to cancel one dude, you got to cancel them all, or- just don't cancel people. That's what I'm saying. Just be consistent. Yeah, the whole idea of like cherry picking and cancel. That's the problem. Is, I is, have. A little, cherry is, is, is a little bit weird. And it's fundamentally flawed because it's making people scared sometimes to make certain pieces of art. I have a solution. What's that? Don't put stupid stuff in your songs. It's actually not that difficult. And by the way, mind you, mind <laughs> you. No, no, we can even get into this. Mind you. If you're an artist and you just want to make music, like, go ahead. All right. But realize that your consequences have actions. It's no different than acting a particular way in a store versus acting the way you shouldn't act in a store. Yeah. It's kind of like the way we conduct ourselves. It's kind of like, hey, what's up? What's good with it? Here's my name. Okay, let's talk. Okay, if you say the right things, you say the right things. But if you say the wrong things in a social app, in a social setting, something's going to happen. Like, there are ways to conduct yourself in society. And I feel like with music, it's no different. And I know it doesn't sound attractive to an artist. Like, oh, well, what? Now I have to fit within, like, certain lines. Like, yeah, you can't just sing about going to the president's office and then, like, murdering him. Which people still do that. People actually- That sounds like an Eminem song. No, 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 no. But, <laughs> but my point is people do put this stuff in their lyrics, but you cannot be surprised if you get backlash for it. So I'm saying. Absolutely. So if you're going to do something stupid, accept the stupid consequences that come along with that. Right. It's kind of the idea of like freedom of speech, but you're not free from the consequences no. of said speech. So it's pretty If much- I write a song about mass killing all the white people, the liberal white people would praise me. <laughs> yes, they would, despite the fact that- And then all about- the conservatives would be like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like, you just can't go around doing stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. I'm just being straight with you. No, absolutely. It, it, it very much is a thing. Fundamentally flawed. Don't go around using such intelligent speak with our viewers. They're not going to understand. I'm just kidding. You guys are very smart. 
I would hope that the people that listen into it, no want, one uses well, logic today anymore. I, I, Mitch. I, would, I would hope that people, you know, want want some gems of this. So, oh my gosh, we love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but I, I think that there is. I don't know if there's enough examples for me to really make a, a solid argument that people are like being scared off. But I feel like there is a, a little bit of this hesitancy in the creative process now because opens of, up the market for us. Yes, there is a hesitancy in this in this creative process and about oh we're not going to sing about some things but if we are going to sing about some things we're going to sing them in this way because it's like an acceptable thing or or right. or kind of downplaying like the issue at large like there was a fair amount of music that was made last year with all the the civil unrest that happened and some of it was very good because some of it really didn't shy away from kind of the what was going on quite frankly yeah the harsh realities of what was going on some of it was basically the musical equivalent of like Oscar bait. Like, you know, Oscar bait where there's there's movies that come out where you're like, OK, the way that they're marketing this, the subject matter mm-hmm. and everything. This is clearly a push for acclaim and awards. Right. Like to get like sympathy from those boards to get awards. <clears throat> and there were some of those those types of, of songs being made. And, and so I don't know. There's just a, a big way of if you are going to dive into some deeper subject matter. I do think that it's probably preferred if if you're pretty blunt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if you don't fully embrace it, then it comes off as like disingenuous and, and kind of pandering as well to a, a large extent. So and maybe that's the reason why we didn't get like a ton of songs in that period. I mean, we, we, there was a period of time for like about a few months where there was like a song like every few weeks covering like, you know, these these topics. But I don't know about the longevity. About it was kind of a trend at the time, huh? Yeah, which in a way it's kind of like, hmm. Like, you know, I mean, yes, I understand that it's an important issue, but kind of jumping on it because it's a trendy thing to do is is also kind of thing. I think that if you're going to make something, you know, it's got to be kind of from the heart and not just. It's got to have like a classic aesthetic. It's got to be timeless. Yeah, it's got to age well because there's so many songs and whatnot that have. What's the word? It's not volatile, right? Something that's like it quickly fades. It's almost like fleeting. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem like it's going to have a long shelf life. It, It feels very instant. And yeah, some because, songs sometimes do that. They have like that. They're kind of like a quick burst of energy. Like, okay, cool. Move on. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't feel timeless. It almost feels like a low amount of value. Like it's like I could find this anywhere else. What makes this unique? Yeah, the the word maybe is disposable. Disposable, yes. Yeah, disposable. And I think it can actually have that in music culture where like, it's like, oh, I got to go to the next song, but it's so quick. Like you don't really stick stick with it. It's like you're always looking for that quick hit song it's like a it's like it's almost it's not really a hit song but you know what i mean like we always get like the songs where they get like a ton of youtube views and all that but they're really forgettable you know what i mean sure that's kind of what I'm getting at. And I'm not sure if you're kind of touching on that. No, no, as well. no, de- no, no, definitely. I think that it's not something that people are like revisiting. It's, no. it's a it's like a kind of a, a flavor of month kind of thing where there might be a ton of traffic in the beginning. It might even crack a million or potentially even 100 million views. And yet there's still not a, a revisitation on it. Right. And this could even be expanded on further in the sense that songs are getting shorter now in the fact that. So many of songs that have been on Billboard, especially as of recently, go and find some songs for me that have been more than like three minutes. Like there's a few that you find on there. Because average is not nearly no, what it used to be. No, no. As a matter of fact, it's like two and a half now, which I'm like, 
two and a half. I I, I mean, I get it from- Marketing, it obviously is yeah. really clever. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I was about to get into. <laughs> I was about to get into the fact that, yes, as a business side of things, yes, of course, to do a two-minute song as opposed to a three and a half or four makes business sense because it can be streamed more times over the course of things. But- I don't want to see a trend of just 20 plus songs that are all like two minutes. Your point is people will abuse it. Right. And we'll go too far with it. So finish your thought. I had a really intriguing question for you. What's that? Why are you so rad? Um, aside from why are you so rad? Uh, do you actually think that even with songs that are really disposable and kind of short and you get that they're doing it from a marketing perspective, but it almost feels like it kind of waters down the art form? Do you find that it's actually good in the sense that when something interesting comes along, you'll immediately be able to spot it right away? Yeah, in a way. Or would you rather have like this huge sea of a lot of cool quality stuff, but you feel like you'll never really be able to get it all? Like, what do you think? Well, that's a really interesting question. I think that because of the way that the landscape is going with these quick in and out type of songs, when you do have just a really quality song that comes along, I think you do appreciate it a lot more. I do think that people are going to hold on to the value of said song a lot more, you know, because you are getting not only a quality product, you are getting more of it. But like I said, I don't want it to be something where it affects the art form because there's something to be said about really crafting together a really good, well-crafted album that has not only the quality, but the quantity in a, in a certain respect too. And album sequencing is is huge too in terms of why records are lasting a lot longer than some others and why even things that have come out recently are being touted or viewed by many to be instant classics in the future is because it's the difference between those who are able to sequence the album properly and, and able to transport you into that musical world versus those that are only about the bag and are kind of just like, yeah, we're going to play into every trend going right now because we know that we can and we can make a bag and it can be a little bit of a viral sensation even on platforms like TikTok where TikTok has really dictated the charts a lot of times because nobody knew who Masked Wolf was until Astronaut in the Ocean went on TikTok and all these compilations. And I don't know how many times... You know oh, okay. I don't know how many times... I've heard what you know about rolling down in the deep. So really good point. What's up? Because you're the TikTok guy. So you, I am, is, yeah, now so I am, right? You are the, you kind of are the TikTok guy. Now I am for sure. So I You have a good point. Now with the hooks, man, I, yeah. I've been talking about this with people because you know, I talk about like, okay, well, lyrics, do they actually matter? And you know, we know a particular producer who would tell you that words do matter. And while I don't completely disagree with him, I actually really think that the words don't matter. I think it's very important to put in your art something that's going to last. For instance, I don't think you should just put garbage in your lyrics. I think you should actually put uplifting and truthful things because, you know, the, the youth are listening to that. So I feel like as far as like on a moral standpoint, I think it's good to fill your lyrics with good stuff. But I feel like fundamentally the lyrics don't matter because everyone at the end of the day is hooked to how it sounds and not always what it says. Not that completely it's only what it sounds like because, you know, there are tons of people who are like, oh, well, I care about the lyrics. Like, yeah, but how much do you care about the lyrics versus how that song sounds to you? Right. Because there are a lot of songs that are hit songs that when you read the lyrics, they are complete gibberish 
or there's a hidden message that's really kind of a bad one, but because people are fooled into thinking that it's okay, they like it, so they overlook it. So I notice there, there's a mixed bag and meaning, but overall, the idea is this, that there are a lot of artists who are not focusing on the lyrical content, but they're focusing on the instrumental hook or the sound, the melody, because mm. that's what hooks a listener in, for better or for worse. It kind of reminds me of um, an article that I was reading up on about Sweden's presence in pop music over the course of history. I feel like Sweden's- uh, Swedes have pretty rad music. They do. Um, there's a, you're like except for no, right? But they, they do. They they do. They have a they have a pretty like extensive musical culture, I guess, from what I was reading about. And really, what I wanted to touch up on was in the article of why music helmed from Swedish songwriters and producers have been some of the the biggest songs to have some of the most longevity in the pop scene. It is right down to essentially what you said, which is. They're focusing on melody first and keeping their lyrics really digestible and really easy for listeners because there's an idea that they have, which is they want the international appeal to where the lyrics are simple, but the melody is going to be at the forefront because that's ultimately what's... That's how I write. Yeah. Everyone's different, but that's how so I write. So you're a melody first person. Melody first, almost always. Melody first. And then... Production or lyrics after that? Uh, typically for me, <laughs> songwriting, right? We're going to get to songwriting. The most important part of a song to me is the chord progression. That's just like a personal thing. But as far as like the ultimate goal, trying to hook the listener in, it's got to have a really catchy melody. So if it gets stuck in my head, I know it's most likely going to get stuck in that person's head, which is going to get stuck in that person's head. So if I can come up with a melody that I can't get out of my head, I feel like that's enough. And to be fair, I'm very... I guess linear in my goals with writing songs, because to me, it's like, okay, if I can make it catchy, it'll get stuck in someone's head. And if it can get stuck in someone's head, then that gives me a chance at like making an impact. And as soon as it gets stuck in someone's head, I know someone's going to hate it because it's going to get stuck in your head. So I almost expect that if it's going to be catchy, people are going to hate it. And I feel like that's just like one of those things. You can either have a song that's not going to get well known because it's not catchy so to speak but if you're gonna write a catchy song you just gotta accept like okay well you're gonna hate it everyone's gonna hate it and that's okay Definitely. i feel like that's just inevitable and i feel like it takes the pressure off of trying to like always as an artist be like oh i gotta be proud of it oh i gotta love it it's like and i don't really think it works like that i'm not saying willfully put out garbage stuff that you don't like but what i'm saying is whatever you like at the beginning if it's gonna be a hit you are eventually going to loathe it. And I actually base it off of that. If it's going to be annoying, that's actually okay because the songs that are right from a more catchy standpoint, they're just for the marketing. And while I say marketing, I don't mean that I don't care about my lyrics and I don't care about my meaning. I actually really do care about that. But the forefront for me has always been how catchy it is. It's got to be catchy. And then if it's catchy, whatever, I'm going to put in, you know, stuff about like the end of the world or like this, or sure. this, you know, some really deep stuff. I like to do that. But yeah. for me, the ultimate goal is making sure that the sound catches the listener within the first few seconds because I still want to make a living what I do and I need it to resonate with some people. And then I'm going to write, what, 10% of them? I feel like I want to write songs that are going to really resonate with the mainstream, but really 90% of the stuff that I like to write, I feel like I just write for myself. So I do both. I write music for the people, but also for myself. Mm. And I feel like there's nothing wrong with doing it that way. Well, definitely. And there's a lot of artists that'll say, you know, something along the lines of, I'm going to write this song that has 
chords upon chords and I'm going to, you know, <laughs> like it for my enjoyment, but I know that most likely the mainstream may not be on that. Meanwhile, here's this four chord repetitive cycling through the progression that people are going to go to instantaneously. In fact, one of the artists we talked about in the past had a, a very statement about that, which is John Mayer, um, somebody who kind of does that a lot, where the most popular stuff of his, mm -hmm. like no question is the ones that are like three to four chords Yep, that have <laughs> that kind of pop sound. <laughs> Meanwhile, like the ones that the, the fans like and the ones that kind of resonate on a little bit of a deeper level are the ones where you look at the chord and you're like, huh? Like he's playing that? Like, you know, flat fives and all types of alterations, jazz chords and and all that. Now, occasionally with John, he'll blur the line and he'll like balance it perfectly. Cause like, I think of something like slow dancing in a burning well, he, room. So he is a very intentional artist. Definitely. Say what you want about him, you know, and he has a lot of haters, but he obviously has a very dedicated following. Yeah, and it, absolutely. Whatever people have to say about him, I, I have gathered that he's, you know, he knows what he's doing, what he's trying to do. He's an artist who knows himself very well versus other artists who I notice aren't always so yeah, there's like a little bit of identity. They're more aimless. I feel like there's like sometimes an identity crisis. But he gets it. My point is this dude gets it. Yeah. With other artists, I feel like sometimes there's a, a little bit of identity crisis. Like what they're trying to do is they're trying to do what we've talked about numerous times with bands and artists that we admire, which is they're trying to change their sound. They're trying to give a different experience for each album. But th there is a lot that has to go into the execution of that. And I feel like if you do get known for something, if you do get known for kind of a, a certain style or brand of music, you do kind of have to retain it a little bit. You either have to retain it, but somehow still evolve and still step out the comfort zone. Or on the other extreme, people will just completely abandon it and will just jump into whatever is trendy and kind of lose themselves. And a la, you get Maroon 5 with that kind of thing. That's where I felt like Maroon 5 really kind of continually misses the mark. Don't get me wrong. I think Adam Levine is a decent singer. I wouldn't say he's a great singer, but I'd say that, you and know, singers better than me. Yeah. I mean, and the man's had a, a ton of success and I'm not going to take that away from him at all, especially with his influence in pop culture as a whole. But I think in terms of them as a band, especially, I mean, because Songs About Jane is a fantastic album. One of the best of the 2000s. I would even say their follow up was pretty good to that, too. It won't be soon before long. Was I'll it 0, 02, 03 or 04? Was it one of those 02, 03? Yeah, the first album came out in like, I think 03 or 04. Okay. The second one came out, I think, close, 07? Yeah, like 07. It was the one with the big M in it. Yeah. Yeah, it was 2007, I remember. Yeah. I remember seeing that album everywhere. It was a good album. It had a little more of a dance floor appeal than like the first album did, because the first album was like very blue-eyed soul. Was it anymore, anymore? Yes. Was it on that one? Yes. Okay. okay. That's the song that was on there. So they had the first album songs about Jane was like very blue eyed soul, very reminiscent of that, which I think they were kind of ahead of the curve in terms of like that whole old school soul being made new, which is probably why it was successful. But then, you know, the second album, very dance, dance floor ready, very kind of more like clubby in that sense. Uh, remember when Sean Kingston was on top of the world. Yeah. See, all that stuff was. Yeah. And then somehow it was like between their third or their fourth album. I think kind of as Adam was getting more prominence just as him himself, that's kind of when I saw this shift where it was the things in the, the first two albums that made them kind of an infectious band in that sense 
didn't really carry over, despite the fact that with some of those later albums, they had immense pop success, like with songs like Payphone, and they had a huge amount of Billboard success, clearly very much in their bag, but they kind of lost what ultimately made them kind of an interesting band in the first place. And that's that's the thing that I have to watch sometimes with certain artists is like, are they going to maintain that edge or that separating factor and evolve and hopefully get chart success? Or they're just going to, you know, dive into whatever is kind of the, the easy trend to jump on and maybe get a lot of money, but not get a lot of those uh well not certainly not getting the approval of critics but also maybe not the fans either who have been with them for a while and who felt you know like they went completely against values so i don't know it's a it's an interesting topic for sure but um yes i think songwriting from a melody standpoint i think is something that i think uh we'll see some more of writing from a melody standpoint while it is used a lot i think as far as press it's very underrated and I noticed that there seems to be a dominance of always talking about the lyrical content of music and even some a little bit of structure. But I almost feel like no one really outwardly talks about the power of melody and chord progression. And I find that really weird when that's obviously present in popular music. The biggest songs tend to be the ones that get you instrumentally and have nothing to do with the lyrics. I feel like that's weird that we don't talk about it. Now, I mean, to counteract, there are some YouTube channels out there that are covering more of music structure. But to me, I still consider those people indie outlets. I'm talking about mainstream outlets. That's very true. That's exactly what I'm That's very true. You don't hear... Because we are an indie outlet. We are just like those YouTubers. That's true. You don't see Pitchfork or... Or you don't see, you know, a lot of... Not as much, no. No, not, no. But I feel like the lyrics, I think the reason why it's so popular is it seems to me that the lyrics are probably the only thing that the consumer can relate to because they can't write music. So they have to relate to something. Most of them can't. That's what I'm saying. I feel like because we all speak words, it's too easy to talk about the lyric part of songwriting. But when it comes to the music part, most people are lost and they don't want to talk about it or something like that. I just feel like it's a very underrated thing to talk about. Because for me, I completely feel left out when everyone talks about the lyrics. Because while lyrics do matter to me, I don't want to talk with the people who are like talking about, yeah, you put that melody right here and then you put these chords together. I'd say 95% of my songwriting is focused on the instrumentation of it first. Sometimes I have like lyrics that I want to just dress up with music, but that's pretty rare. Like when I can't write a song, I usually just finish the whole instrumentation and the melody and then just figure out the lyrics. Well, because I feel like the instrumentation and the the chords and the structure of things, it it, it kind of is going to set the vibe for whatever you're going to have in terms lyrically. I mean, I do agree with you. I think sometimes there are pieces of text that you write and sometimes you do just get the right creative zone going where you you write just the right thing with poetry and you're like okay I know I know how I want this to sound after writing the words that's happened to me a few times but I think very similarly to where I kind of need a musical foundation first because I need to see exactly what the vibe of this song well, is. Well, I've be. heard you. I, you know, we we were in a studio. I've heard the way you write. You are more like me, where you write it instrumentally. Yeah, I hear you comping your chords. You're playing your melodies. Yeah, and you're singing along to it. Even gibberish. Sometimes you just sing gibberish. To exactly. It. And then eventually, I know you're going to get some lyrics in there. The way that you write. I mean, even though we write different styles, that's the way I typically write. I write with my guitar before I write with my pen. Right. If there's anybody who's out there and who feels like they're in a creative rut musically um, and having a little bit of creator's block, maybe try 
focusing on your melody and your chords first before coming up with the lyrics. Of course, everything is is subjective. If you are one who is emphasized in poetry, then go ahead and, and get that figured out. But I would say for a good amount of people, I'd say, you know, the, the music and the, the foundation has to be there because ultimately just that alone is something that can make or break longevity of the music. And I think that's a good spot to kind of cap things off right there. No cap. Per, per, <laughs> no cap. Uh, the takeaways <laughs> of this episode, no cap, uh, means matter, but apparently lyrics don't. But anyways, once again, another installment of Work Tape in the books. Mitchell Palmer, Isaac Grover, Work Tape Podcast coming at you. Let's get it. 